Hello and welcome back to the To The Heights podcast. This is Olivia Colombo. I'm a young Catholic changemaker and I'm so excited to be embarking on this project of sharing stories of the young people of the Catholic Church and those who minister to them. The title, To The Heights, is a translation of the quote, Verso Lealto, by Blessed Pierre Giorgio Fersati, a 24-year-old student and lover of mountain climbing, who is on his way to canonization because he dedicated his life to caring for the poor and the vulnerable. His catchphrase, To The Heights, serves as a prayer and a reminder for many to keep on working and achieving for the glory of God. Through my own work in ministry and media, I've had the blessing of meeting so many young people with inspirational stories of how they are reaching to the heights in their own lives. And I want to share one of those conversations with you today. Today calling in, we have John Foley, who is a Catholic fine artist and an oil painter, currently residing in Lancaster, Massachusetts. He's married with four kids. He runs a blog called Beauty Advocacy, and he is an incredibly skilled and well-trained artist. He was a teacher and a department head for several years at the high school until he took a leap of faith to go off on his own. But we'll talk about that more later. I actually came into contact with John first at Connect Boston when, ironically, Kelsey, Kelsey Cronin, who is our director of marketing and social media here at Catholic TV and was the first episode um, of season two, she's amazing and is the reason why all of these podcasts happen. She was on a panel about careers in art and media um, at Connect Boston, which was this huge convening of Catholic college students in Boston at the Cathedral of the Holy Cross um, last fall, I think in October. Um, But she was on this panel and so was John. So I'm so happy that we got linked up with him. Um, He is an amazing guy and has so much wisdom on beauty and the importance of beauty in our world which kind of follows up from last week's episode about Nell O'Leary from Blessed Is She and the importance of beauty and Blessed Is She. So John called in to chat about his journey and the need for beauty in our world um, and the need for artists in our church and in our world right now. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and get inspired by John's story of reaching to the heights. All right, we are here in the Catholic TV studio in Watertown. I have a very exciting phone guest calling in um, who I can't wait to share with you. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself, just your name and where you're from um, and what your occupation is? Sure. My name is John Foley. I currently live in Lancaster, Massachusetts, and I'm a professional painter, and also I teach art. Awesome. Um, So I kind of... I don't want to say I met John, but I, I was in the same room as John um, at an event in Boston called Connect Boston, um, which was this first kind of convening of all of the Catholic college students in the Boston area, which was an amazing event and had hundreds and hundreds of people there. Um, and there were breakout sessions based on kind of area of study or area of interest. And there was an art and um, creative kind of breakout session that Kelsey, um, who our podcast producer, was on that panel along with Sister Alethea of the Daughters of St. Paul, um, and John was also there. So it was so good to hear from you then, and I'm so excited to talk to you now. I'm very excited to be here and talk with you, too. All right. Um, So after kind of hearing you talk on the panel, um, I did end up reading your artist statement um, and kind of doing a little bit more researching. And I don't know, I feel like everything about your artist statement and kind of 
your goal of like searching for beauty just really, really resonated with me. Um, and that is kind of what I wanted to talk about. Um, but I think a logical place to start, would you like to talk about kind of where you grew up, how you like got started in art when you were younger um, and what path that kind of led you on as a young adult, where you studied, things like that? Sure, Lydia, that sounds great. So art is one of those things that has always been with me to a large extent. I often tell people that in kindergarten and afterwards, whenever they would put me in front of some watercolor blocks and give me some paper, I would never be happier. <laughs> and I would just spend hours and hours, with, if it was available to me, to draw and paint as a child. Mm. And I just had a really deep love for pictures that were beautiful and I was exposed to them. And I was lucky enough to be able to be exposed to a lot of good things, and a lot of great art through my school experiences, mm. my home experiences, and through the church in different modes and yeah. times. So um, I suppose that it's been a long, long thing, this engagement with art. It mm. always was a little bit on the back burner in the sense that as a child growing up with my parents and family, we always had an emphasis on academics and excellence in more of the mainstream school type of thing, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I can relate. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit of a surprise almost in a sense to me that I ended up choosing to become an artist. Mm-hmm in the sense that I was always very math and science and um, literature-oriented in school because that was sort of where the grades came from and where the expectations of excellence were sort Mm. of emphasized for me by my parents. And then when I finally got to college, my parents gave me, I think, the very good advice to pursue what I loved, and then find a way to get paid for it, mm. which at that time was a little bit of a revelation to me. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't have to be a lawyer or a doctor or... Um, I think that there was always the openness to a vocation of the priesthood or a religious life in my family. Mm-hmm. But this idea of pursuing the beautiful was something that hadn't really crossed my mind too seriously earlier on in my life until my parents almost gave me the permission to really ask God and ponder myself, what is it that I should be doing with the rest of my life? Mm. What would make others happy? What would be good to serve others with? And what would help my, myself be happy and um, just be a noble goal to pursue. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was something that I, I really am thankful to them for and hopefully have been able to pursue well since that time. Yeah. 
That's beautiful. And I can I can definitely <laughs> relate to that. I come from a very math and science family. Um, and I, it was always kind of competing interests like academia and like, I don't know, I loved computer science growing up and robotics and things like that. But also, <laughs> like, I started studying art, like, I, much the same as you. Like, I always had a paintbrush in my hand from when I was very little and started studying art, um, I don't know, I think when I was five at the Worcester Art Museum. Um, oh, wow. So, like, there was always this tension of, like, do I do something, like like you said, mainstream? Um, or do I really pursue what, like, sets my heart on fire? Um, which which is art in many ways. Um so where did you, so you, you got this permission to kind of explore what you were truly passionate about and how you were created to serve the world. Um, how did you, where did you go to college? Um, and then where did you go with that after you graduated? Excellent. So I went to college at the University of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And I had a very good philosophy um, introduction there. I majored in philosophy and then decided afterwards, uh, or actually I think I started started my majoring in art and then picked up a philosophy after that. Yeah. So my father would tease me about majoring in double print employment. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, um, I really I really did love my education there. I really loved the opportunity to uh, just, I guess one of the biggest things was just the peers and the others who were searching for excellence and mm-hmm. searching for high goods at that point. And uh, I think that the philosophy was a very, very good program for me and in a certain sense helped to form me for beauty yeah. almost in a, in a sense better than the studio time did mm-hmm. uh, in a funny way. Yeah. So I think that yeah. There are certain, um, I'm, I apologize, I'm, I'm trying to think <laughs> through this. Yeah, all good. But basically one of the things that happened in the art program was they set you in front of a bunch of art materials and said, okay, be creative with these. Mm-hmm. And they didn't mm-hmm. give you particular guidance as far as training your eye and your hand to work together to make form. They had some ideological messages that they wanted to pass on that I often found were deeply in conflict with my understanding of the world and particularly with my understanding of truth and beauty. Mm. And that in a certain sense, the art studio gave me the time to really commit to pursuing art and pursuing beauty, even if it didn't equip me ultimately with those tools that I definitely needed to pursue later on in life, which I get to, I guess, a little bit later in my story after I graduate, I go to the school whose um, motto actually is to the heights, the same as your podcast. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) The Heights School. Yeah. Potomac, Maryland. That was... Go ahead. Elizabeth. Oh, is that where you you were teaching there, right? That's right. I taught at the high school for six years after college, mm-hmm. and I taught math actually, really, <laughs> and art. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was great. It was great. Sort of bringing both sides together again. Yeah, yeah. So, and then um, but, were you department head eventually? That's correct. So I was hired on as the head of the art department 
to, in a certain sense, blaze the trail and set a foundation for it. And I was very happy to do that for six years. And I had a great experience with my peers there, as well as the students and the families. It was really incredible. And in a certain sense, it was, you know, I think probably the only place that I could have had such a great experience in that way. Um, I went into college knowing that I didn't want to be a doctor and I didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> and then coming out, coming to this realization that, wow, like this is actually maybe the best way that I can pursue beauty and serving others at this point. And it was such an amazing experience for six years of my life. But then coming out of that and realizing I need to pursue understanding of how to make beautiful forms so that I can pass that on better mm. to people like my students at the Heights and others that are really hungry for it. Yeah, yeah. And the world is definitely hungry for that beauty, for sure. Um, definitely. Do you want to talk about the kind of decision to to leave um, and to come back up to the Northeast um, and how you kind of grappled with that decision? I was just talking to Kelsey, um, and we were talking about how how prayerfully that decision must have been made, especially having a family um, and how, like, I don't know, crazy that seems to the world, but to someone who, like, is striving for sainthood and for seeking true beauty, um, it does make perfect sense. Yeah, definitely, Olivia. It's a very good question. I came to the realization that I needed to pursue this more actively, I think, gradually over those six years, and I certainly, coming out of college, had the idea that I wanted to obtain more artistic training, but I didn't really know where to get it. Mm-hmm. And one of the first people who I was pointed towards by my friends and um, others who were thinking about me and, and knowing I was struggling with trying to pursue beauty in a meaningful way mm-hmm. was the artist Henry Wingate who does beautiful work in the Catholic tradition and is extremely well-trained by my former art instructor, art master, I should say, painter master, Paul Ingridson, as well as some others, including his time at the University of Florence, not the University of Florence, but the uh, Florence Academy of Art, I should say, um, over in Italy. And he was very, very generous in inviting me out to his studio and looking at some of my work and just sitting down with me, actually taking me out to lunch Mm -hmm. and giving me advice from the place of a very experienced artist who was doing something very similar to what I wanted to do. And it was really refreshing and really great. But one of the things that he recommended was really to seriously think about taking on a traditional training regime and to go and put myself under a master artist who would be able to form me Mm. and be able to see and to be able to make those beautiful things that my heart really was desiring to make and to uh, be able to understand beauty deeper. Mm. So that was a really great thing. That was sort of a first introductory hint of, yeah, this might be the direction I need to go. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the second year um, that I had been teaching at the Heights. 
and about the fourth year, I went ahead and married my beautiful wife, Deirdre. <laughs> we had been getting to know each other off and on during that time. Mm-hmm. And she had been a student at Catholic University. Yeah. Out in Washington, D.C. And after that, we definitely took on this idea of how is it best to pursue beauty in our concrete everyday lives and in our five and ten year goals. And we would sit and talk about it a lot every once in a while. And we would certainly be praying a lot about it. And, you know, at a certain point, after our first child, Evangeline, was born, she was still very young. And for some reason, this question of, should I go back and study, was reaching a more intense pitch in my mind. And my wife, being a very generous and very brave woman, really took this to heart and prayed with me about it, talked with me a lot about it, and after a while, she almost, I think, was the one who encouraged me enough to say, yes, Mm -hmm. let's go back and really take this seriously and go study with this artist, Paul Anderson, who, after I traveled around to a number of different cities, had a number of atelier programs and seen a lot of different work Mm -hmm. in a lot of different places, I had decided Paul had something special when it came to an understanding of color, particularly. Yeah. And I knew that that was, in a certain sense, my greatest weakness as a painter. And so I wanted to match his strength with my weakness. And just, I had fallen in love with the paintings that were coming out of his studio. And I knew that that's, that's what I wanted to pursue as an artist. And that that was at least the first next step on my journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, and very biblical in like the, the Lord being like the lamp to your feet, like only the next kind of like stone is illuminated. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. It definitely feels like a lot of times we're, (laughs) we're trusting him to put the next, next board in front of us as the build is being written, the bridge is being built. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, something that really struck me in your artist statement, um, is something that I have found myself trying to like explain to the world. Um, and the concept of art being service um, and art being used to help others. I always kind of use like a parable of talents analogy, um, like giving back the gift that you were given. Um, But do you want to talk about how your own kind of personal, maybe background and philosophy, um, but how you see art as service to the world? Absolutely, Olivia. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest ways that, I think art can be understood as service is that art is an embodiment of beauty, hopefully, and a searching after beauty. And in a certain sense, the artist is, you know, doing the searching, doing the finding, trying to hunt down beauty and then share it with others. Mm -hmm. And that in a world like the one that we live in, where we are so surrounded by a utilitarian mindset and in a lot of ways a very materialistic mindset such that 
we're almost suffocating in a lot of ways with utilitarian goods and pleasures. Yeah. Beauty sort of gives us hope of deeper goods. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it gives witness to the goodness of God and lets us sort of get a, catch a glimpse of something deeper and something more wonderful than we could imagine normally, in a sense. Like, you know, in our everyday world, it can get so gray. Yeah. And so almost heartlessly grinding, I think, on so many people, and that for the many, a glimpse of beauty is something that will help raise them up and help them have the courage to seek for those higher goods that St. Paul always is encouraging us to follow after, um, and just to really, you know, I, I, in a certain sense, not give up hope in a broad way. Um, this is what, you know, I think the fine art tradition in the Western world really has offered. I think specifically within the church, the Catholic artist has a great opportunity to help lift the minds of the faithful yeah. to God in a really, really amazing way. And I, I, I always go back to my experience when I was in eighth grade. My parents took me to Rome. We were living in England at the time, and we had the opportunity to go over there for about a week. And I saw so many beautiful, beautiful things. Um, One of the main painters who sticks in my mind is Caravaggio. Yeah. And the realism with which he depicts Christ coming into history Mm -hmm. and almost invading the space of the viewer. These, These paintings are just so real. But at the same time, so, you know, just so alive yes. with the beauty of the gospel and the gospel message um, that it just made a huge impact on me seeing them in person. Mm. The other thing that really made an impact was seeing the Yezu, which yeah. is the big church of the Jesuits there mm-hmm. in Rome. And I remember very clearly just the way that the paintings of the angels and the saints were done, they were literally bursting through the bounds of the frames and the architecture within which they were painted and reaching out into our space. And I think that's one of the best things that Baroque art does, the tradition of Baroque art within the church, is it communicates to the faithful, to you and me, that the saints are actually part of our lives, that Christ isn't just some distant figure, some otherworldly presence who doesn't interact with us, but someone that comes in and breaks through that everyday grim materialism that sometimes we are so closed in by and wants to talk to us, wants to be part of our lives, wants to raise us up. And that that encounter with the Yezu really embodies that in my experience yeah yeah that's beautiful um and definitely something that i don't know i feel like i've explored that whole concept more since i've been in college um i've studied a lot of liturgy and like sacramental theology and sacramental art and how we view the world through like like the the sacramental vision or like the liturgy of the world that everything we interact with every like tangible piece of art and how we design our churches is supposed to be an invitation um it it points upward it points elsewhere 
not it doesn't just end um the podcast guest that we had on last week was the managing editor of blessed is she and she had a really beautiful quote um that beauty is not a stop sign um that it invites you further um and i thought that was really really striking um yeah yeah definitely it's interesting to me one of my um favorite catholic artists that comes to mind is an artist named carl schmidt if you've ever heard of him no i don't think so He's really awesome. The Carl Schmidt Foundation um, has a lot of his paintings and a lot of his writings, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that he mentioned was that he, well, he's a painter of still lives. A lot of a lot of his work is dedicated to still life. Yeah. And one of the things that he emphasizes is you can't be an artist painting these things and not be drawn deeper than the things. Yes. Not be drawn and led to like the question of who made this beauty that mm-hmm. I'm basking in and enjoying day after day and trying to communicate day after day and always at pointing higher, even these little things like still lives that we can so often think like, well, what, why, why paint a still life? Mm-hmm. And that ultimately it's all connected to the giver of all good gifts. Yes. Even, even these small little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a beautiful point. And I feel like I've, <laughs> I'm currently in the process of um, applying to go abroad um, in my junior year, and I'm looking at different sacred art schools. And I feel like all of, I mean, obviously the still life is like where we start in studying and like my college years have been and will be filled with painting of still lives. But I feel like that's such a good answer as to why so many sacred art schools and like departments of like theology schools that focus on art, like we start at the still life because like beauty is in every little thing um and that points you higher you don't need to be like painting these magnificent murals of saints um in order to find like beauty with a capital b in them um yeah 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 for sure very true have you ever done any work um like within a church have you ever been part of like a mural or any type of like art and architecture in a sacred space so not the actual integration of the two mm-hmm. yet. I really want to. I'm working on a couple different projects. I've designed some things, and I'm in the process of trying to bring them to fruition that would combine the two. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's just in the design phase. So I can't say definitively yet, yes. Yeah. Um, that I have, I will hopefully soon. Okay. Um, and in the past, I have done paintings outside of the church mm-hmm. that have then been integrated into a church. Particularly, I did a painting of Saint Edith Stein. Oh, yeah. For a church in um, Bright Vienna. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I've done some other smaller works as well. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I guess that's a whole whole different experience. Um, and. That is something that I wanted to ask you about. Um, what do you think, for people who are listening who are, like, familiar with the concept of being, like, a fine artist in the secular world um, and might be a little bit more unfamiliar with, like, this subgroup of, like, Catholic artists and sacred artists, what do you think the difference is between being a Catholic artist and being a secular fine artist? Or is there not as much of a difference as people might think? That's interesting. I I think that's a great question, Olivia. Mm-hmm. I do think that for the Catholic artist, 
we almost have the advantage, I mean, certainly have the advantage of knowing the source of beauty, mm-hmm. that ultimately every artist is searching for beauty and hunting for beauty, and ultimately I think what leads any artist to really wholeheartedly become an artist is that sense of the beautiful and the desire for the beautiful. And that there are sometimes things that are in contradiction to that, that are labeled as art and almost lifted up as art that I think we have to be careful about. And as I've been going through my art training and my art education, that's been something that I think is a stumbling block for a lot of people and a confusion for a lot of people is when something ugly is raised up and said, hey, this is this is beautiful yeah. or this is this is what art is or what it should what you should be looking at mm-hmm. as opposed to you know really having your heart set on beauty yeah. and sharing that with others i think that that's something that honestly in a lot of ways the modern secular art world has really lost um to a large extent in my experience and in what i've seen yeah so, that's that's perhaps something that is particularly a challenge for the modern artist, both in the secular context and the religious context. I mean, the Catholic specifically, the, yeah. the true, true religious mm-hmm. <laughs> context. Yeah, so. yeah, that's a good point. Kind of the push of the modern world to, like, anything that we say is art, like if you label it art, then it's art. That yeah, the kind Marcel of... Duchamp yes. mentality of... <laughs> Yeah. You know, yes, I'm the I'm the artist, so therefore, mm-hmm. this is the thing you should look at. Yeah, yeah whatever I say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The extension of the Ubermensch mentality, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I have so many directions that this conversation could could go in. Um, it's so <laughs> awesome to have like an older artist, Catholic artist. Um, <laughs> to kind of ask my questions like these are conversations that i wish i could have with like fellow art students at bc but um i don't know it's interesting kind of being the the art only like catholic artist in the room in my art classes and then in like my sacramental art and architecture classes in the theology department i'm the only artist so it's a very interesting (laughs) yeah it is an isolating thing i think in a lot of ways yes yeah you sort of are straddling the two worlds Mm -hmm. and no one no one quite trusts you yeah yeah Yeah. You, you can study it but you also are capable of making it and that just makes things wonderful um and blurs the lines um what have been some of your most impactful projects projects that are um worth noting on the project on the podcast or maybe some some projects that have been the most challenging um for you is there anything that comes to mind that you'd like to talk about yeah no absolutely olivia so one of the i think both meaning most meaningful and most challenging projects that i've ever been involved in was producing the art for Mr. Meehan's Mildly Amusing Mythical Mammals by Dr. Matthew Meehan, one of my old colleagues from the high school, who is a complete literature nerd (laughs) and really, really in love with beauty from an almost different perspective, from the perspective of words and um, 
poetry particularly. Mm. And he created 26 poems in the tradition of the Christian humanists, mm. particularly Thomas More. He's a Thomas More scholar himself. Mm. And he convinced me to go ahead and make 24 oil paintings, 26, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was actually 27, now that I think about it. <laughs> in one summer, to illustrate his 26 poems, one for each letter of the alphabet. Wow. And with each letter of the alphabet, he had created this funny little creature, this yeah. mythical mammal, huh. that embodied in some way an idea that he wanted to communicate and wanted to present to young readers, um, actually to families. Hopefully mm-hmm. this is a book that will be discussed yeah. between multiple generations and essentially draw out the wonder and beauty of these ideas along with a wonderful and beautiful picture to help the imagination grapple with them. Mm-hmm. And he and I did this across one summer and... At the beginning of it, he essentially asked me, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and <laughs> I replied, I kind of want to throw up, but I'm pretty sure yeah. I want to do this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it was amazing. It, it stretched me as an artist. It stretched me intellectually. And it stretched me, I think, just as a person. to make something very beautiful that was very challenging, Mm. but also very much in the tradition of Western philosophical and artistic production and thought, which was just extremely meaningful and and just extremely wonderful for me. So that's definitely one of the highlights for me as far as projects that are very beautiful, very wonderful, and very challenging. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. No, that sounds it. And like a little bit of a time crunch. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think, one of the funny things about art, I forget who said it. I think it was um, a composer um, who said, surprising what he, what, what he can do with uh, a lot of talent, enough funding, and not enough time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That That whole idea that, you really sometimes produce something surprising and something that you've never done before if you have a little bit of that pressure. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I think I think some of my most memorable projects, um, for sure, <laughs> like what comes to mind for me, um, I painted a mural. I was a missionary in Haiti, um, and I painted a mural at the home of a paralyzed man above his head because he he was in bed all day and had nothing to look at um but like very limited amount of time like (laughs) that i had like his hut free for me to paint also like just enough like materials not quite like found objects and like (laughs) the red paint that i was using was like wood stain for a deck um and it's just like that doesn't mix with acrylic at all (laughs) Um, yeah but like if you have just enough of everything and you're willing to do it um things line up and and true beauty is created there like though that might not be my most like technically like i don't know i'm not proud of that painting technically but i think it's probably one of the most memorable and impactful personally 
Um, yeah. yeah, so it's interesting what, what challenge that, can provide. That really brings to mind for me one, I think, of the biggest problems facing the artist now. In a certain sense, I think the art world is obsessed with you know, doing something new, doing something weird, doing yeah. something that's never been done before. Mm-hmm. But that what the art world really needs is that reintegration of art with it. And I think that's really beautiful, Olivia, that you were able to do that mm-hmm. in that for that man's life mm-hmm. and that you were able to give beauty to him. It really reminds me a little bit of how Ron Angelico painted his scenes mm-hmm. in the room of, you know, one particular brother of his in the monastery and that maybe not many people in his lifetime would see it but for that one brother of his in the monastery it was it was just his constant companion throughout his life Mm -hmm. yeah true and like if one person sees a painting and like is moved one degree closer to god like then that painting was absolutely worth it um for sure um whereas kind of the modern art world is being like you should put it on a huge gallery and everyone should see it. Um, yeah. When in reality, beauty can be a very personal and intimate thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I think the, the thing that has been recurring to me is sort of the idea that the art world wants to reinvent the wheel, mm. just give you something weird and surprising or just totally shocking. And that the call of an artist is in a certain sense to be, connected to where he is and the people that he's he's friends with and that they are in his community and to bring art to them, bring beauty to them. Yeah. So that's a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I, I have a few other questions and then we're going to, so at the end of podcasts, I like to do this little thing called Catholic quick questions. Um, but before we get to that, um, I, I have a few other questions. I wanted to ask you about how your process of painting looks like integrated with prayer. Like, how does the Holy Spirit play a role in your own painting? It's different for all Catholic artists, how prayerful we are and in what ways we're prayerful um, when we go about our creative process, but I wanted to hear about what that was like for you. Interesting. Interesting, Olivia. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it's something that, you know, I try and integrate presence of God into my life all the time. And <laughs> it sort of reminds me of the T.K. Chesterton quote, you know, do you pray when you're smoking cigars? Mm, yeah. Says, well, no, but I, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to massacre the quote. <laughs> I, um, sorry, yeah, do you smoke cigars while you're praying? Yeah. And he said, no, but I always pray when I smoke cigars. Yeah. So, sorry, that that being just the idea that, you know, yes, I have specific times of prayer in my day, and those are sort of exclusively dedicated mm-hmm. to praying and trying to connect with our Lord in personal conversation or through the liturgy of the Church. Yeah. But during my periods of art, I always try to, first of all, orient my day. When I get to the studio, I have a couple prayers that I pray, and I try and direct my whole energy and my, my thought towards our Lord first mm-hmm. and through my work to him, even though he's not necessarily always first and foremost in the, in the sense of my active intellect yeah. when I'm actually doing a painting or working out the problems of a drawing mm-hmm. or composing a picture. 
Um, but, you know, sometimes she is there, too. And, uh, you know, I feel like there are sometimes particular insights of beauty that it's like, oh, wow, like, you know, that's the presence of God in a certain sense and a reminder of him to me. So it's, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know, I don't know if that particularly answered the question. Yeah, no, it definitely did. And, and yeah, it is a fun dynamic and like, I don't know. It's exciting to see. And I feel like there's no, I don't know how I would answer that question. I feel like it's ever evolving and always changing how like, um, yes, we are centered. We have to make sure that we're centered first on the Lord in our own like personal prayer that's separate from art. Um, and once you're grounded in that, like it comes through in really exciting ways, whether it's like you're actively thinking um, about like what beauty you're creating and where it's directing people um, or if it's just like you're already rooted in that, so you don't need to be actively thinking about it. But right. yeah. Um, do you have any advice for, um, I, I have two advice related questions. My first one would be, what advice do you have for young Catholic artists who are maybe embarking on a journey similar to yours um, and kind of looking back what what advice you might give to people like my age who are studying art um, but also, what advice do you have for people who are supporting us, um, for people who don't quite understand what the world of art is like or what it's like to be kind of a Catholic creative as much, though everyone is obviously creative in their own way, but for our friends and our parents and our families, um, what advice might you have for non-artists in supporting artists? That's a good question, Olivia. So let me think about that first one maybe with you first. Okay. So the advice that maybe I would give to young artists or people who are considering pursuing art, Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to definitely take it to prayer and, you know, discern, is it your vocation? Yeah. I definitely would recommend John Paul II's letter to artists. Yes, for sure. As well as his letter on vocation. Um, I think both of those were very formative for me in my college years, particularly, Mm -hmm. and I thought those insights were just invaluable to me. Yeah. So definitely would recommend that. As far as the more practical side, once you have decided, yes, I want to pursue beauty, I would encourage young artists not to be too afraid to think outside of the box. And I would particularly say, you know, possibly even the university box. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the Western tradition that I think really is serious about pursuing beauty was always passed down from master to apprentice in a way that almost needs to be more personal than the taking of classes in an art department. Yeah. And that that, in a certain sense, can be a very scary thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that would be something that I would encourage you to think about. Um, yeah. Any young artists who are thinking about pursuing a vocation as an artist to really see what is what is it that I want to learn, and if it really is the tradition of Western art, to go to someone who's a master of it mm-hmm. and to learn what they have. Yeah. Um, so that's maybe that's maybe a, a broad answer to. That first one, what advice would I give to young artists or artists discerning? Yeah, yeah. And then beautiful. To folks who are trying to support young artists, I would say, 
don't be afraid to commission something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. Don't be afraid like to give a challenge to a young artist and try to help foster them not only sort of with encouragement, but also with an opportunity to share their gifts with you and hone their gifts through the process of making something beautiful for someone's home, for someone's office, for someone's church. Um, and that, that can be such a meaningful and uh, just life-giving way to encourage a young artist. Mm. Uh, and that, that, for me, I've had my experience of very generous people who have come to me and said, hey, would you make this thing for me? Or um, would you... Would you um, take on a particular project or even I'd like to buy one of your pieces yeah. um, or even I'd just like to do- donate to you because I believe in what you're doing mm-hmm. and that has meant so much to me um, you know in a world where it's yeah it's, it's difficult to make ends meet yeah. and really to focus your energies on the pursuit of the beautiful while at the same time putting food on the table and paying the rent mm-hmm. and living a practical life which God calls us all to do that. You know, we're all sort of bound by our flesh and blood and those like yeah. basic needs mm-hmm. that we need to, you know, <laughs> yeah. we need to take care of for ourselves and mm-hmm. for our families. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's maybe one piece of advice that I would, I would offer to you mm. um, if you're thinking about supporting my young artists. Yeah, for sure. All, all very good pieces of advice. Now, uh, that also that also brings to mind to me the uh, I guess a counterpoint to the young artist. Don't be afraid to go out there and knock on people's doors. Yeah. Um, and be be as wise as serpents, while at the same time being innocent as doves. You know, learn learn the art business, learn your basic business hygiene that you need to be, you know, basically cultivating relationships. Yeah. Um, you need to be, you know, having an email list. You need to be engaging other people with your thoughts, with your hopes, and you know, basically presenting your vision to them even before it's actually made in paint sometimes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I like that last point that you don't need to like wait until you have the perfect like representation of your vision, the perfect portfolio compiled of like what you want to stand for. Um, you can be bold and take that step first and create the relationships. Um before you, you don't be afraid and wait for everything to be perfect um, right. until you take that step out. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Awesome advice. So are you ready for our little round of Catholic quick questions? Um, we do this with every podcast guest at the end. It doesn't always end up being quick. Sometimes it is, but always a little bit of fun. <laughs> All right. So my first question tailored to you is what is your favorite medium to work with? I think oil paint is my favorite. Okay. It's quick and it's just amazing. You get beautiful results. If you if you know what you're doing, it's just so satisfying. Mm, yes, I agree. Um, what is a medium that you wish you would work with more often? Also a good question, Olivia. Mm, that's a great question. Mm. Maybe, oh, wow. That's <laughs> hard. That's hard, Olivia. Yeah, so many options. Uh, wow. Um, it might be watercolor. It might be watercolor. Yeah. Um, because it is also even quicker and more portable. Yes. And 
it also just has a little bit of that unpredictability factor. It has a life of its own mm. that makes those beautiful surprises happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I started out as more of a watercolor person, but then obviously in like more like training and studying, switched over to oil paint. And I agree about the portable thing. I just had to transport all of my final projects <laughs> over for my art final from my oh. like apartment to the studio. And there's a lot more oil paint in my car than I'd like to admit. But Ooh, yeah, <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> all of the clothes too. I'm sure it happens. Oh yes, yeah. So many clothes <laughs> have been lost this semester to oil paint. But yeah, all right. Sacrifices along the way. True, very true. Um, next question: What is your favorite book of the Bible? Uh, also, a very good question. <laughs> um, my first thought is the Book of John. Mm. Um, and it's might be a bias, but I think he's a pretty awesome saint. <laughs> the way that he looks at things and that, so just the love that he has for the Lord, I think is really pretty awesome. Mm. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. Obviously, it's, it's hard. It's hard to choose something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, so John is obviously your baptismal name, but do you have a confirmation name or a patron that you picked for yourself? Yeah. So St. Jude is my confirmation saint. Nice. He's the patron saint of hopeless cases. And I often think as an artist, that is <laughs> <laughs> particularly appropriate. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. All right. So John is your favorite book of the Bible, but what is your favorite book in general? general. Well, I mean, beside the Bible, um, that's also a good question. I love a lot of novels. Um, I mean, J.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings is way up there, but probably even more than that, I love With Fire and Sword. Have okay. you ever heard of that? I have heard of it. I've never read it, though. It's amazing. It's apparently one of John Paul II's favorites. Okay. Um, but it basically tells the story of the Polish nation in the 1400s and 1500s as it was overcoming many, many difficulties and sending off invaders and just just amazing heroism and characters that are presented in there. It's, it's so much fun. Mm, yeah, I, I want to read that. Um, yeah, Kelsey and I were just talking about compiling a, a reading list. We get so many good book recommendations um, on the podcast, but as a college student, the time to read is very slim. But... <laughs> it's true, it's true. Yes, yeah. College can get so much in the way of education. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> All right, my next question is, what is your favorite place that you've ever traveled? Uh I think Rome has to be my favorite place. I think there's something about it that is just like coming home. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it is full of some of the most amazing art mm -hmm. and just, you know, the, the most amazing confluence of art and prayer that I think is anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Solid answer and what I would expect out of a Catholic artist probably. Um, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your favorite part of being a dad? Oh, that's a good question, too, Olivia. I think <laughs> one of my favorite parts is that it helps me to see the problems of others more sympathetically. Mm. <laughs> I think I just have grown a lot in empathy and sympathy. Mm. And I thought I was pretty empathetic and sympathetic before, but... <laughs> I think having a little person who's totally dependent on you 
helped me at least to be much more aware of their needs, but also their moods, what makes them tick, what helps them, what helps motivate them, and what totally deflates them. Mm. And just seeing myself in them, and then seeing myself in relationship to God, almost reflected in my relationship with my child. Yeah. Oh, that that's beautiful. Um, all right. Next question: What is your favorite way to pray, or your favorite prayer? Interesting. Um, hmm. I think probably my favorite way to pray is to be um, at mass and to be praying at mass. Yeah. And after that, to be in adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Hmm. Um, and that. I've just always been very energized by that, and um, just that that feeling of the presence of our Lord is just an amazing <laughs> feeling. Like, I don't know, yeah. Jose Maria said at some point that going to prayer should almost be like going to the cookie jar, <laughs> and that you know you should be you should be trying to sneak more and more, like you know that yeah. that feeling of relief and joy has always been mm-hmm. really part of adoration, I think, for me. Almost a quiet type of, <laughs> yeah. you know, sustenance of you know, that, that treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that quote. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I like that, though. <laughs> it's not the exact quote, so I, 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 I should look that up for you. <laughs> I'll look it up. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes, but yeah, that's awesome. Um, speaking of saints, though, um, if you could be best friends with any saint, um, who would it be? Uh, I think it might be John Paul II. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. There was just something about Pope John Paul II, I think possibly just because he was the Pope when I was growing up. But he just always seemed like such a father figure to me. Yeah. And then his writings, particularly those two that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. were so formative, and I just always thought so wise and so loving um, that I just, I just, I think that would be John Paul II. Mm, and his yeah. bravery, like, you know, his manliness, I think, too. Just just really, yeah. I think it's incredible. Yeah. So, like, such a role model, but such, like, an applicable role model. Like, yeah. I don't know, he, he can be a role model of, like, true, like, manhood or to men, but also, like, I don't know, each of his letters, like his letter to women, his letter to artists, like he has all of these different facets of a type of role model that he can be for so many different people. And probably that's why so many people relate and love him in so many different ways, which is beautiful. And I don't know, I strive. I guess everyone who wants to be a saint should strive for that. But yeah, yeah. 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 And I second your recommendation for sure. Um, The letter to artists, I don't know how I made it so long in my like, art and theology education without reading it but I had to read it for a class I think last semester um and I was reading it in our like beautiful like Boston College BAPS library which looks like Hogwarts with all the stained glass windows and I was like this is like this is it like this is so beautiful um yeah yeah so definitely recommend that as something to read for artists and for non-artists just how we can like manifest beauty to the world um, in so many ways, but yeah. Absolutely. All right. So that's all I have for Catholic quick questions. Um, it has been so, so great to talk to you, John. Um, I hope oh. that listeners have so many like little takeaways and just, I feel like there's been an overarching theme in this podcast and the podcast that aired the week before this, um, about 
um, that was with the managing editor of Blessed Is She and the whole beauty is not a stop sign thing. Just discussions of like authentic beauty and how everything around us can kind of um, invite us to deeper beauty. But that's a very important theme and I think an important one in our modern world. So it's been so great to talk to you about that. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Olivia, for having me on. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and where can people kind of keep up to date with what you're up to? Um, so people can keep up to date with me by following my blog, which is Beauty Advocacy, which is on www.johnfolly.com, or following me on Instagram, John Folly Artist. Awesome. Um, I'd love to be in touch. Yeah, yeah. I will put all of those links um, in the show notes. But thank you so much, John. Um, And listeners, we will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the To The Heights podcast. And a big thank you to John for sharing his journey and his advice and his gifts with us. Thank you for you. Be sure to follow along with John's journey and check out his work at johnfolly.com or on Instagram at johnfollyfineart. I hope you enjoyed listening in on John's story and that you have some takeaways to apply to your own journey with the Lord in reaching to the heights. Alrighty, you can find the rest of the To the Heights podcast and stay up to date with us on iTunes, Spotify, or our new Catholic TV podcast platform, grexley.com. Check out the new podcasts on there, and if you feel called to support the project, you can visit patreon.com slash grexley for some cool podcast swag. Um, Be sure to tune in next Monday for another super cool guest, but until then, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ToTheHeightsCTV, or find me at OliviaRose underscore art or OliviaRoseArt.com. Talk to you next week, and keep on reaching to the heights.